Supercars in Sydney, racing all weekend long. Panasonic Air Conditioning, Sydney Super Night, 19 to 21 July. Now a ticket tap. Supercars, unforgettable. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hi everybody, Aaron Noonan here. Great to have you with me again as we are on the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Repco. My guest on the podcast for this episode is none other than Brad Jones Racing's own Brad Jones. How many times can I put Brad Jones into one sentence? Probably quite a few. Not as many as Brad Jones can. But anyway, this is part two of my chat with BJ. We talk about some really cool stuff. We talk about the Audi years, those amazing two-litre super touring cars that he and Greg Murphy and Cameron McConville raced. We also talk about the race of a thousand years where he got to drive what has become one of the all-time great sports cars of Le Mans racing, the Audi R8 that he got to drive on the streets of Adelaide. And he takes us behind the scenes on what was going on on whether he would or wouldn't get to drive in the race. Now, Bradley also tackles for us the National Motor Racing Museum couch racer questions that you, the fans, have sent in. Uh, let's just say some of the questions went to places with answers that I wasn't quite expecting. That is what you get when you sit down with Brad Jones. And he also tackles the V8 Sleuth Top 10 Shootout. Now, before we go to the audio, this is a little public service announcement on behalf of Bradley. When we turned off the microphones and stopped recording, we were wandering around BJR. He was showing me through the workshop and he said, are you into Corgi model cars? Now, I've got to tell you, this is not a plug. We're not sponsored. We don't have a, a deal in relation to this. But Bradley's become quite the uber collector of Corgi model cars. Now, these are the model cars of, of his youth. So, you know, the 20s, the 30s, that's a bit harsh. Maybe the 50s and the 60s is a little bit, bit closer to the market, even the 70s too. But if you're into Corgi model cars, Brad's a collector and he wants to know about them. He only wants pristine. He only wants good stuff. He doesn't want beat up trash stuff. Uh, but if you've got Corgi cars or you're into Corgi car collecting, please shoot us an email through our socials or through our website and we will connect you. He is on the hunt for all things Corgi. There, that is my Brad Jones public service announcement. So here we go. Buckle up. Time to start part two of Brad Jones of the V8 Sleuth podcast, powered by Repco. So if the Audi thing comes along, a bit of cross-pollinate at the same sort of similar time that the NASCAR thing's going, how did the Audi thing start how did you because i've never stopped actually ask you how that came to be um we looked at super touring so so for kim and i we always wanted to race in the touring car championship but we didn't couldn't get cigarette money didn't have the backing certainly personally we had no wealth and so um we could only race where we could afford to race and 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 either for, through sponsorship or prize money and really we were running our road um i tried really hard to go and drive in America, um, and to do NASCAR, to stuff. do NASCAR, yep. yeah, yeah, and and you know, there's some Aussies have been over there doing doing a bit of NASCAR and probably hadn't done very well, and so they they tied you with that brush, pretty much, yeah, and so it was 
actually it's probably one of my greatest regrets in life to to be honest never you know when, when i was talking to ray about it he's like yeah so where do you want to run daytona daldega and i went no i want to go i want to do half miles and three quarters and probably not much bigger than a 1.3 oh yeah why is that well because that's what i know i said just test me give me an opportunity but just never, ne- never really. And this is before the road course ringer thing really had yeah. taken off later in the 90s. Well, so. funnily enough, when we did that road course um, in, in um, at the Gold Coast, we flew Billy Hess out here because he was so helpful and, and he was just in the process of starting up a truck team and he was obviously in our team and watched what we did and he went, oh, my God, um, you've got to come and drive our car on the road races, but we couldn't really put it together so mm. you know it's just one of those things if i could turn back time i i definitely would have done things a little differently as in pushed harder gone um, over there and hunted more yeah or? i was i was you know i was it's it's i'm sure it's like when a, the first bunch of aussies went to europe and decided they want to be formula one drivers you know you sort of stand around and you don't know who to introduce yourself to and you go and do all the tours at the workshops but you know, you don't really know the people, and so you know, I'm old, older, and you know, it's a pity I didn't have someone steering me a little bit better. Mightn't have made any difference at mm, all. Who knows? Um, but but it was a bit of a missed opportunity. Anyway, we were running out of road there, and so um, we looked at the Audi thing. Um, I felt super touring. You know, obviously, I'm. Well, for those of you who don't know, I'm really good friends with Alan Gow. In fact, I'm probably one of his few friends. Um, <laughs> you know, his friends. You could probably. He, he could use cover them really easy with just one hand. Um, so anyway, I knew Gal from you're, uh, you're nasty. I'm sure I'll get a call. Yeah, he he came on this podcast a year or two ago and never said a bad word about you. In fact, he didn't say <laughs> a word about you. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. Say, oh, actually, no. There was the time that uh, it, actually I need your return of serve. We'll get back to the Addies in just a sec. So where he just I think the news was. You can correct me if this is wrong. We'll have your say that one of his regrets that he'd learnt that he shouldn't do in management was to not tell a driver that they're out of a seat for the following year before then getting on a road trip with them to go back to. Yeah. That's what happened with he, you he, too. He told me as we were driving out of the circuit. Oh, was, At the Adelaide Grand Prix. Yeah, Adelaide Grand Prix. Man, I was filthy. That you're out of the Brock Series. Mean, so I only had one race to go. I had two races to go which were in New Zealand, but one of them was going to cost me the Oscar Championship. So I told him I didn't want to do, do Pukekohe, but I'd go and do Wellington. It was funny, really, because um, Brock was sick, really sick, and and Brock being Brock, instead of taking flu medicine, all he'd do is drink orange juice, and then I was crook uh, at the other end, so you know, <laughs> literally, yeah, literally, and and I can't think, I think it was Radisic maybe was the other driver, and he was crook, and Noski, um, Tony Noski, yeah, yeah he was the only one that wasn't sick, and so so, but you know, he had sort of. Other issues, yeah, he wasn't fast. Um, so oh, it's probably harsh, but um, and so we, well, I went and did that race, but and then I then I came home and uh, I remember they had a dinner and Gal sat up there and went, oh, you know, there's a couple of guys leaving the team. I think George Smith was leaving. He says, I'd like everyone to give a warm round of applause to George and Bradley. Bradley's leaving the team. If everyone could. Could uh, you know acknowledge that those two have been here all year, and you know, and then when he finished, I said, um, "Look, you know, I feel like I should say something." Alan's you know been very helpful over the year, and um, uh, you know I've in, enjoyed my experience here 
as part of the Brock team and Ruby, who's a mechanic, was, you know, fantastic. And, um, you know, the way this whole thing's been handled, um, uh, you know, I think uh, Alan deserves the clap. And uh, <laughs> and everyone, no one was really listening to me except for Gal. So everyone <laughs> clapped. You were not leading a round of applause. No, I mean he deserved to get the clap. <laughs> So, so, uh, and and the other thing that happened around that was as we left, we had to. There's an airline strike, so and we were friends. We were good friends, and I used to stay at his place, and you know, um, so we're driving back, and Brock is driving back, and Brock's non-confrontational, so he would never tell me that I was out of a drive. So we're driving back to Melbourne, and um, I can't think what car we're in. Brock's in a uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. Brock's being pulled over for speeding. So the cops on the other side of the road, Brock's pulled out, uh, jumped out. He they left before us, and uh, I am filthy, like I'm just you know going berserk. We're a couple of hours into the trip, maybe more, and uh, we come across Brock walking across the road to the cop who's got the radar out and has booked him, and so Brock looks up and sort of frowns and looks at us, and I start to speed up. And then as he's walking across the road, I'm following him with the car. And Gal's like, don't do anything stupid, don't do anything stupid. I said, I'm going to flatten him. <laughs> I'm going to flatten him. And, uh, and then I just swerved at last minute, which got the cop- cop's attention and Brock's and Gal's. <laughs> he's probably re- referring to some of those. Something incidents. like that. Yeah, something like that. It's a loving relationship. I, I, you but, know. but, you know, I, you know, when I used to go to the UK all the time, I always stayed at his place and we have a great relationship and, Honestly, you know, it was just one of those things that at the time. Given that he became the head of the British Touring Car Championship, was that part of the thing that helped you go the super touring pathway uh, or he, really. he encouraged it or? No, no not so much. It was just kind of the next thing that was the, there's I, a deal that we could get here, so let's I go after it. I felt that they were popping up all around the world. Mm. And um, so what I did was um, it was in 94 uh, after Bathurst and we were down testing uh, or racing with our Oscar. And um, I went and sat at the end of pit lane on the drag strip on the road race circuit. And, you know, even now ringing people when you don't, cold calling people isn't easy. It's Mm. really awkward and difficult and uncomfortable. And so I rang the um, managing director of Audi at that time, Audi Australia. It was a lovely gentleman named Peter Roofley and uh, who I'm still still in contact with today. And so I got through to him, much to my surprise, (laughs) and said, Hi, Peter, my name's Brad Jones. Um, I'm ringing, I'd like to talk to you about your super touring program. I'm not sure if you know who I am, but um, I just finished second at Bathurst a, a week ago and um, and I run a race team with my brother. And he said, hi, Brad, I've got no idea who you are. <laughs> at least he was honest. Yeah, and he was honest. He said, um, and yes, we are looking at super touring and um, if you'd like to um, meet with Kevin McCann, who is his 2IC and I, um, we can see you in, you know, it was two and a half months or something. So I said, okay, what time would you like to see? You know, where's the office? And so we went to Sydney and and put that deal together. In the meantime, we had been racing a Lotus Esprit in the, because um, Super Touring is already evolving, in the production car championship, Australian production car championship. So we knew, that's where I'm at, Adderton, and, mm. you know, so we knew a few of the people, but the series was, you know, very, very young. Very. Yeah. It was, it was minimal. Two cars. It was pretty minimal. Yeah. Really. 
two, yeah. the two factory BMWs. And Frank Gardner, you know, he was my dad's best friend for a long, long time. And so, you know, I had a bit of probably more interaction from that side than, than, um, than from Gao, to be honest. Supercars in Sydney, racing all weekend long, shifting from day into dusk into darkness. Lights on, because in Sydney, we ignite the night. We are go to light up our Sydney sky. You don't want to miss this. Panasonic Air Conditioning Sydney Super Night, 19 to 21 July. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars, unforgettable. And then that became the, the Audi 80s, four-wheel drives, the A4s came later, but it was Audi v BMW. It was the Holden and Ford of Super Touring, really. Yeah, it was, and, and you know, in, in a, which was pretty exciting. I mean, it unfortunately caused a big strain in the relationship my dad and Frank Gardner had, but um, for us, um, you know, it took us out of the shadows and while people sort of looked at what we did with production cars, no one really thought NASCAR and Oscar was much chop. They didn't understand how difficult it was. And so for us to turn up with those things, I think most people didn't expect much of us at all. Murphy ended up in, in one car because of the, the deal we did with Peter Adderton. He ended up being a 50% partner. We bought the manufacturer and he bought along Oryx. And, you know, that's how we ran for, you know, five years, I think. And in that time, there was obviously, I think you won the Drivers' Championship twice. Um, Bathurst turned into a two-litre race. The, the, the What had been the V8 race, V8s went and had their own. Yeah. You ran cars in Macau. You know, it was a really successful program there while Super Touring was was booming in particularly the UK, but Germany and there was a series in America and there was, yeah. you know, it was well, a perfect time for it. Oh, yeah. And look, Bathurst was really the one that got away. It's probably my, you know, greatest regret with Super Touring. Um, because we were the only people running quattros and quattros are so successful around the world, it was pretty easy to put weight in them and slow them down. And while that knocked them around a bit at Oran Park and Amaru Park and it really knocked them around Killed a bit. Killed up the hill. That, yeah. Going up the hill and then back down mm. that long straight mm. and, and they're the fast across the top of the hill but, but you know, just just difficult. And so... So the you know we we chipped away and I felt like the BMW was was um, um, the thing to beat you know and and you know it was but a very a very successful time like you said we went racing in Macau Frank Bieler drove one of our cars you know we represented Audi Sport um, I had a great relationship with the factory um, won the championship. Um, in 96 when they won the championship. I mean, I've still got that car. That's the car that sits in the Bathurst Museum, that car the Germans flew out for many years that day. And, and um, you know, I can remember when I jumped in that car and drove around Oran Park, Kim stuck his head in the window and said, what do you think? And I said, see, but shit. We need for the home. last round. Yeah. And, and BMW had gone on a Michelin tyres. And so we'd gone, we'd raced, that they'd used them uh, a couple of times, but when we were at Lakeside, um, they and they had three drivers, so they, they fixed us up. And so we'd organised with Michelin to, to to do a test, so stick around on the Monday, qualify. Because were you Dunlop? We were on Dunlop. Yes, that's right. And, and, you know, I didn't rate, rate them, uh, you know, that highly. They were the British ones. And, and so, um, you know, my experience had always been with the Japanese Dunlops, which I felt were fine. And, and... Um, so we we did a run on the Michelin tyres and we we 
finished the race 15 seconds quicker than we would did the day before on the Dunlops. And so we went back and told told the Germans and they didn't believe us until they did the test and then all of a sudden Dunlop made new tyres and, you know, stuff started to get real pretty quickly. Mm. But at that stage, BMW had gone off Yokohama, so all of a sudden they became competitive and we got to the last round and then we had solicitors and barristers at the track arguing about 15 kilos of weight in their car and, yeah, it was pretty... Pretty difficult. It was probably one of the most stressful experiences I had in my life. And, um, you know, Kim was up arguing with Terry Morris and, and the solicitors and Peter Adam was up there and it was just crazy. And then I was sitting in the truck gathering myself up before the race and um, I think we qualified the BMWs were one and two and Murph and I were three and four. And I heard the rain and it was a night race. And, and I remember because I... I didn't think we were that much faster in the wet than, than a two-wheel drive car, but we got off the line. Mm. And and so I can remember I got up off the floor and walked out and, you know, and then the magic happened. It was a, you know, it was a very special night. What were those things like to drive? Uh, very understeery. Yeah, really? Um, but because like, of the four-wheel drive? Yeah. And, and um, but you know, obviously a, a really good car. Um, they, they um, um, you know, you look at Bathurst, and and um, they didn't look good compared to a supercar, but the time I I put mine on pole when the supercars are running at Winton would have put me fourth on the grid. So you can imagine, like mix that grid up, that would have been great, right? Mm, mm. Giant killers and all that sort of stuff. So so um, but you know that was a that was another really good part of my life. Um, the Audi eighty was was an okay car, but but you know the the A four. We went over to the World Championship. At Donington, pardon me. Sorry, we went over to the World Championship at Donington, and um, and saw the Audi 80s. And, and this is before you had the. Yeah, this, this is the time you and Crompton go to see Frank Williams, yeah, and he got yeah, his yeah. dirty pants. Yeah, that's right. Buy the book if you haven't read. If you don't yeah. know the story, and and uh, and then we went through the museum at Donington, and I I must have climbed in every one of it and sent us cars. And Crompton's he like, would get have freaked. read the sign, read the sign. Don't. I said, what, what are they going to do, kick us out? Like, Jesus, Neil, like when's the, when am I next going to get an opportunity? Quick, take a picture of me. I am not taking a picture of you in that car. I said, are you kidding me? Get out of the car. Get behind the barrier. And I'm like, I'm not getting behind the barrier. So in the end, I jumped into Alan Jones's Beatrice Lola, which I'm sure he hated, and said, hey, take a picture of me in this so we can send it to Jonesy. And he's like, get out of the car. I'll get Trevor to take a picture of the two of us sitting beside the car. So that was a shot. So he's like, if you're looking for fun, don't take Neil. Yeah. <laughs> or you need to take six beers and make him drink Yeah, them yeah, yeah. He's mm. fun when he's had a few sherbets, that's for sure. But, um, yeah, so it was a trip. So we, we went through all that stuff and um, formed a relationship with the Germans. And, you know, Kim especially had a great, great relationship with, with Siegfried, who was you know our point point guy, and Helmut, who's in parts, and um, they were really helpful. It was a, you know, it was it was a building. It was the next thing we needed to to end up with mm. with a supercar team. And it also helped connect through to drive probably the greatest race car that you ever got to drive, the Audi R8 Le Mans car. Well, yeah. Um, and funnily but by enough, that stage, you weren't an Audi bloke because you were in V8s. But then they needed a driver in Australia. Because Alan McNish had a bad back for the race of a thousand years, and they think who's a race driver in Australia that's in the Audi? 
He's in Aubrey. Yeah, that's right. But you must have not thought that that was real when the phone call came no, through, well, surely. To start with, I'd been doing no exercise at all for months. It was off-season for V8s, yeah. yeah. Um, um, uh, just to finish off the Audi stuff, we got to still have a pile of the Audi stuff here. Like we opened the container five years ago. It had been locked for 15 years and, and Maca, Maca opened it again the other day just to make sure that everything's okay. But we, we sold enough to get into supercars and then we just locked the rest in a container. So we have a... A lot of stuff so here. So you could build a car? Or well, have you got- got, I've got a front-wheel drive car here, one of John Bincliffe's car, and then so one day I've got everything but a gearbox, I think, and so we're going to build that into a car one day. And that was the last year, 99, you had to yeah. go to the front-wheel drive cars. Yeah. And the car that's up at the museum that you mentioned is four the, the four-wheel drive that came was freighted out here yeah. for that last round in 96. Yeah. Um, from the research, you've been kind enough to let me in your room here before uh, on other days that I've been here, that was the car camera convoy race the next year in, in 97 and finished third at Bathurst. With, you with, would know better uh, than me. With the fabulously named Jean-Francois Omroul, which <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what a great love, name. Don't you love a French name? I love a French name. I think that's actually the car you took Brock for a ride around Bathurst in too the next year because oh, really? by then it was the ride car for you. Yeah, him, you know, that's a team. funny story. When we were driving out of the pits, Brock turned to me and said, uh, nothing to prove here, Bradley. And I said, yeah, you want to bet? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, what? I said, don't you think it's funny and ironic that arguably the fastest lap you'll ever do around Bathurst is in the passenger seat with me? <laughs> Man, he was like, then it's like, action. <laughs> yeah, it was very funny. But that's the sort of relationship he and I had and Neil had mm. with him as well. Mm. We used to, you know, joke and laugh around a lot and, you know, he he, he uh, you know, he, he. I remember when, when he was going through a turbulent time with Holden. They booted him out of the pits there, and he came down and watched a race with us. So you know, always, you know, Peter was was uh, very young at heart, but you know, helpful to me in his own way a lot. Mm, mm. So the R eight, yeah. So the story there is um, obviously Germany's on a different timeline, and um, Siegfried had rung my brother. And, and said to him, hey, uh, Alan McNish tripped over his wallet and hurt his back. Um, do you think that uh, you could get Bradley to go over and, and drive the R8? He goes, oh, yeah, no problem at all. So Kim rings me at some ridiculously hour, uh, early hour of the morning and said, hey, Ziggy's just been on the phone. He wants you to go and drive the R8 in Adelaide. And I just hung the phone up. And uh, he rings back and he goes, uh, I said to him, do you know what time it is? And he goes, don't hang up, don't hang up. That's true. So I'm like, really? Really? He goes, yeah, there's only two drivers in each car. They need you. So then I said, okay, hang on the line. So I rang to get flights and the only flights we could get were business class. And I said to Kim, only flights I could get is business class. So this is no longer funny if it's going to cost us money. And he goes, book them, book them. <laughs> so, so we flew from Aubrey to Sydney and I missed the morning, Saturday morning practice or Friday morning, whatever it was. And then we're sitting on the plane and they couldn't sit Kim and I together. And so I'm sitting next to this guy who's upgraded through points or something. And so he's, so he's not supposed to be there really. Not really. And he's worked out who I am. So now we're talking oh. about car racing. So I'm like, okay. And so Kim's sitting by himself about – and business class is a bit bigger than normal – so I'm like, I'm looking around. I said, hostess, can I sit next to my brother? And she's like, no, no, sorry, there's someone there. It's full. I'm like, it doesn't look very full. And so then they shut the flight and then next thing in excess come in and sit down. And and I, I, knew, I knew a couple of guys in the band. So um, uh, 
I think it was John or Andrew Ferris, you know, putting their luggage up and they've looked at me and I've looked up and I've gone, you know, hi, John. He's gone, Brad, what are you doing here? Oh, I could ask you the same question. <laughs> so anyway, we had a bit of a chat and, and, um, uh, and, and I think John was sitting next to my brother and so, you know, they both got books looking in the opposite direction. I said, oh, uh, John, that's my brother Kim. So he's like, hi, and Kim's like, Half, half blocked him. He's like, he didn't want to say hello to me when I wasn't your brother. Why would I be talking to him now? <laughs> anyway, so so we chat along to the guys and they're like, here's a hotel we're staying at. That's our room. This is the name we check in under. Come see us. Come to the concert. You can get on stage with us. You know, it'll be great. But it was it was a great experience to drive the car but to not race it, you know, I, I probably acted a bit badly and and um, uh, I was really, really disappointed because you really thought you were going to? I, I felt like when that car was 16 laps ahead, it wouldn't have hurt to put me in for 30 minutes. Oh, either not because Alan ended up driving. It was okay to drive yeah, it. They and could have added big, you in. Well, there was a big argument at the end about whether I should drive the car or not. And so the argument was because I'm from Australia, um, it makes sense. And, and the other argument was what if he sticks it in? And so by the time the argument finished, the race was over. Mm. And so, so then they wanted me to go onto the podium and I'm like, I'm not going – I'm not going to go up there. I feel ridiculous. Mm. And oh, so to claim a win, you didn't. Yeah, but have. I should have just done what I was told. You know, mm. they, they. You know, I was hired to do a job. I was paid to do a job. I, you know, I should just shut know, up and go. Yeah, and and you know, as as it was pointed out to me afterwards, Alberetto did the same thing. I think in in um, Sebring or somewhere where he didn't drive the car, but he went to the presentation, and it was more important to them than me. And I was, you know. Uh, you know, it's hard. You get the highs and lows. So they didn't. I didn't know I wasn't driving the car until the race started. McNish started, and they weren't sure how far he could go. He did a full stint. Then he got out of the car. I mean, he was very apologetic. Um, but then he made the choice to get back in at the end. And and he, you know, he, he said to me, "I'm getting back in. I know this sucks. I've been where you are. Um, suck it up, princess, basically." Mm-hmm. And so, so you know, it was just one of those things. And and but I I. In hindsight, I probably could have handled it differently, and I, I didn't. And so you, you, you think in other ways, like you spat the dummy more than that, oh, or no, was, it went I on was, after I that, was or just professional? But I, you know, I should have gone. I should have just done as I was told. Mm. I, you know, I was over there to do a job, and and it was a great opportunity on reflection to drive the car. I wasn't very fast in it because um, I had no idea. I'd never driven anything with downforce, and so you know, I'd said to Frank. And, Frank, and to be honestly, Frank, Frank Beeler, who was in yeah. the other car, wasn't he? And yeah. he'd driven with me before and he kept on saying to them, just put him in the car like he'll be – he can drive, he'll be fine. I've, I've raced with him. And um, I said to Frank, um, lifting around the back of the pits there, uh, you're flat. I'm fast as anyone through all the windy stuff but I'm slow, you know, at these three points. How do I know when I'm running out of grip? I don't want to smash up the car. And he goes, well, you, you don't. It just – you know, but if you lift off the throttle, the air will stop, the car will sit up, and so so then you're in trouble. You just got to believe that it'll stick. Mm. Now that's fine if we're out testing somewhere on a day. I'm sure I'd get my head around it, but in the middle of a race, or you know, I just wasn't comfortable enough. And so so yeah, I mean, you know, maybe I'm marking myself a little bit hard, but it was um, it was great to have the you know when I drove that car, hardly anyone had ever driven them in the world. Mm. And, um, you know, for them to trust me with it, with their lead car, you know, it was quite an honour and, and, you know, you know, it shows a lot of respect for me, I think. And, um, 
Yeah, so I, you know, it's one of the very few things I have a picture of me driving. In fact, I think it's uh, that and the NASCAR, the only pictures in my office. So the NASCAR's not there anymore. So it must just be the R8 is the only picture I have in my office of me driving a car. Mm. It's cool. It's it's right there with Porsche 956 of classic sports cars yeah. of all time and you've got to drive it. So you, you, you go through the S's at the end of Pitt Strait at Adelaide and I looked at the data before I got in the car and um, you would turn right, left, right and the minute you turn right, you're flat. And, and so you're just starting, you're not at the next, you know, uh, curb, you're back from that, you know, like where you're sort of flying but you drive around and then you just keep on grabbing gears. And I can remember standing there with Crompton watching, you know, those 1,000 horsepower Formula 1 cars, you know, go up mm. that hill and this was like that. Mm. It was, you know, so, so I look back and and go, wow, that was, you know, an amazing opportunity and experience but... Um, you know, it was a one-time thing. Mm. Bathurst clearly is mega special to you, to your team, to your history. You've been close so many times. Which of the podiums, was it the Audis or maybe the HRT stuff, which of those is the one, was there one more than the others that was that that, that was the best chance to get? Because they're all pretty good chances. They're all close. Yeah, they, they I mean, you know, I, I won't bore you to death with this, backstories for for all of them but um it's hard to pick a favorite i mean the first one was a bit special but it was odd because gardner and i really weren't having much to do with each other and and it was pretty pretty tense between us um the that, next, got, that got better later on though you guys oh yeah absolutely, absolutely he employed you to drive for him yeah so in fact kind of been that bad when alan heafy rang me um i remember him saying i said to him uh Hi, Alan. Um, what's going on? He goes, uh, would you, you're not with HRT anymore. Would you be interested in driving with us at Bathurst? And I went, Bathurst? Me? I said, you know you've rung Brad Jones, not Alan Jones, don't you? <laughs> he goes, oh, yeah. He said, the chief doesn't like you, but he really rates you. <laughs> and, and that sort of started to fix our relationship a little bit. But he felt, I think he felt, I was going to replace him. And, and I thought that too, to be honest. And so there was a fair bit of niggle. They stood him down at Sandown and put Grice in the car. And and so then, you know, Thomas was in charge in those days. And, um, yeah, it was just, you know, we didn't get on. Then the next year was, you know, I always thought was a bit of a missed opportunity. Um, it was Craig's first race. And, and, you know, that race is probably special to me because – uh, I, I, um, um, I was very proud of the the double stint I did. Um, the, you know, the race started and it was wet, and you know, got to the I think I don't know where I pitted out at second, maybe I don't know. Um, but then you know, I drove through the field. So, so that's a special one. The the one with John Clellan. Um, you know, we came from way back, twenty first or twenty second yeah, or something. And then, yeah, and then we got in that lead group. Then the radio broke, and then he had to stop a lap later. So then I had to drive back to the front, and then you know, duking it out with Scafey was you know that was important. I mean, they're all they're, 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 there's a moment in all of them. Mm. You know, the the that that was the, the next one when JB and I finished third. Um, I sort of felt like we should have been second. We had a tied to laminate, and, and um, um, but we, you know we were 
you know, one of the, one if not the team to beat up there. And it's a pity, really, because I felt like he and I and the team at that stage deserved to win. And and um, every year, you know, we were we were the ones that were you know on point, um, certainly for Ford. Mm. You got a little cool stuff in this place: pictures on the wall, trophy cabinets. There's a lot of cool stuff kicking around in here. Um, we do a fair bit of stuff with the team at the Motorsport Trader. They're a website that uh, you can get all your motorsport memorabilia and bits and pieces from. They're the motorsporttrader.com. Um, do you have a special, special piece of memorabilia from over the years that, you know, whether it's from your career or from it's a trophy, it's a suit, it's a helmet, it's a car, what's the thing that's must keep for, for you from, from your racing career? Um. My Bathurst trophies are at home. Mm. Not here. Mm. So that tells you how special they are. Yeah. You wouldn't know it if you, you know, they're, they're sort of in the garage, but um, I always, you know, that, that I guess that, that says everything, doesn't it? Mm. But, um, um, but, but my house, I don't have any motorsport stuff at all really other than those and I put them where I can see them in the garage, not where, you know, it's, it's not. Not it's so, not the shrine. It's not the Bradley room of look at me, look at me. It's something that I walk in and see them every now and again and it reminds me of something that I was once mm. reasonable at. Oh, come on now. Well, you bit know, more than reasonable, bit yeah. more than reasonable. Australian Muscle Car Magazine is one of the most respected voices in motoring media. There's been over 140 issues and thousands of stories published in the last 22 years. From the amazing muscle car machines of the past to the present and the stars that steered and built them, AMC has something for everyone. Delve into the heritage of homegrown high performance now at musclecarmag.com.au. The National Motor Racing Museum is uh, a place where you can go and see Brad's A4 Quattro Audi. It's on display there. It's kind of permanent resident hanging around up at Bathurst. By the way, museum's open six days a week. Don't go on Tuesdays though, Brad. They're not open. Not open Tuesdays. No. But, but they've got some great stuff there every year. Brad lets me in to have a look around at, at Brad all Brad Owen, stuff. who's the museum yep. coordinator, not you, Brad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, he's like, you know, growing up, Oh, well, let me finish the story. So I look around. He's got some really cool stuff. So if you're going up for the race or if you are going through Bathurst, highly recommended to drop in, say good day, and have a look around. Brown paper bag is in the mail to Aubrey for you for that lovely additional plug. Uh, National Motor Racing Museum Couch Racer Questions. It's where our fans and followers get to ask some questions. Do your best, Bradley is all I'll say. Uh, someone's asking what really happened at the end of the runway on Hamilton Island. Oh, yeah, I can tell you about that. So um, Audi used to sponsor the boat race there and so we would set up a little course over on the airstrip because there only a certain number of planes land every year and, and then we do a driver train. So they'd invite all their guests out, they'd go out on the boats, watch yacht races and they'd come over and do like a slalom course with us and then we time it and, and give away a prize. And then one year... Um, they had the uh, managing director, it was the first year, and they were going to announce that they've got Audi backing and as part of it, um, he was doing this in the dark, you know, just, just on past dusk, just just dark. And so I was meant to get in an RS4 Audi and drive, start way down the other end, accelerate up and then jump on the brakes, flash, put the lights on about 100 k's, and then I'd, I'd worked out that you you know get up to about 260 k's, jump on the brakes, turn in and drive in behind him, and then turn the car off, and everyone got to see the RS4. 
So um, I'd ask if if I could uh, have a trial run. So they're like, yeah, sure, you can do it the day beforehand. So we had Andrew with me and, and Macca was lurking around. In those days, Macca was like 12 or 14 or something like it was nothing. And, and um, um, so, you know, at the end of the strips, they cut and um, – they cut the tarmac so when a plane lands, it squirts all the water out. Did mm. you know that? I've seen it on Strips. TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's about where I was braking. Anyway, so we can't, I come shooting down the we've got a radio in the car and come shooting down the airstrip, and this thing get up to about two hundred and sixty k's. I've judged the distance to where I turn in, which is you know near the end, uh, and I've jumped on the brakes as hard as I can to pull the car up and turn in there. And so what's happened is the um, rim has pinched the tyre on one of those cuts and blown the front two tyres out. And so not really a problem because, you know, but, but when you have lose two tyres, the ABS brakes won't lock the rim. It wants the rim to rotate. So as soon as it locks and it's got no tyre, it releases. So when you've got two tyres like that, we're well, not stopping much. Mm. And so we're sailing towards the end of the airstrip. Jones is in the passenger seat and um, <laughs> Jones is in the passenger seat and so he's like, shit, we're in trouble. And, and you, I went, you, you cleaned that up, didn't you, just a little bit? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're in trouble. I'm like, we, yeah, we yep. are. <laughs> and so I'm turning the car, trying to turn the car side to side to wash speed off as, as, as we're – heading towards the sea. And so at the Hamilton Island there's a drop and they put all rocks on the end of the airstrip. So the airstrip's built, it's not part of the island. And so so we're heading rapidly towards there. And so we probably got to about so there's there was these huge black marks all the way down the airstrip from when I jumped on the brakes. And because they've got magnesium wheels on it, um, once it went through the rubber, then the magnesium caught fire. So there's sparks and stuff coming up. So all the yachties are coming in because it's dusk. So all the people that are over there for the yacht race, hundreds of yachts are coming in through the bay while I'm setting an outer light on the on the airstrip. So um, anyway, Jonesy's like, uh-oh. And, and uh, so I find my way through the lights at the end of the airstrip. So now there's a big snake of black marks down the airstrip and now we're on the dirt and we're still actually going pretty quickly. And so I think we got about, meh, I don't know, 10 metres, maybe less from, from the, the rocks or the sea. You know, the edge. The drop, yeah. And, and I see Jonesy <laughs> hits the seatbelt button and opens the door. He's ready to bail. And I'm like, I'm like hey, wait, what are you doing? He goes, I'm, I'm getting out. <laughs> I went, no, no, I think we're going to stop. So keep in mind, I've, I'm like on the brakes and, and trying to grind this thing. And he's like, I think we're going in. And I said, I think we're going to stop. Stay in. Stay in. <laughs> so anyway, he shut the door and put his seatbelt back on. As we just get to the last rock and and it stopped on the last rock. Like you could not you have planned could not it like have that. gone further. Honestly, you just couldn't, it couldn't have gone. And then I, I last time I looked in the sea, the tide was in. And so the sea was up. But when we did this, the tide was out and it was a really long drop down into the sea, so we would have probably been hurt. Uh, Just a little. So anyway, I backed the car up, dust and shit going everywhere, 
and dun, 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 and we limped back over to the to the hangar. And honestly, I was white, uh, and so was he. And so he's like, "What are we going to do now?" And I said, "Well, the show must go on, so we don't have another RS4. Let's grab. I'll get one of those S4s, and I'll I'll do the stunt again." So we took it, and but I took it to the maintenance guy and pump put about eighty psi in the tires rather than just leaving them at thirty five. And um, and he goes, he jumped in the passenger seat, and I said, "What are you doing?" He goes. I couldn't let you go through that again by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> what a lovely nephew you have. And I said to him, uh, I think you better get out because <laughs> if anything happens to you, your parents will kill me. Yeah, could imagine. But he could stayed imagine. in, to his credit. Points, that's that's family. And I was very, very gentle on the brakes, let me tell you. <laughs> so then and then I got in a massive trouble from the um, airport authority as well. A I, bill? No, just, just what uh, are you talking thinking to? doing? Mm. Yeah, and because they don't understand anything, the guy's like, if you're going to do that again, why weren't you wearing a helmet? I'm like, I'm not racing it. I didn't <laughs> expect it to be a problem. He goes, well, the next time you decide to do something like this, we'll put a fire engine at the uh, end of the airstrip. I'm like, we're not doing this I'm again. not setting the car on fire again, mate. But once was enough. <laughs> it wasn't so, part of the show. Oh, man. If it so, is, I'll tell you next time. I'll tell you next time. Yeah, so that's the airstrip story. And, and those marks were on the airstrip. For ages, and I've got friends that were Jetstar and Virgin Pilots, and you know they used to always say something to me about it. it's like you know they're still, still there. <laughs> and I've got pictures that someone took of them um, on my computer. I don't look at them very often. I wonder if we go back through Google Earth, we probably will find it if we yeah, hone in yeah. far enough. Uh, they were pretty big back. like marks, not just on the road. Um, ask Brad about declaring bathroom scales on the way out of Australia on the way to the US. And what did they come back as? And how many spare parts can you fit in a Jeff Gordon NASCAR without seeing any of them? <laughs> so, so we took bathroom scales out of the country and brought back, um, you know, proper car scales. Oh, <laughs> what one set of bathroom scales? Yeah, just threw in the which bin. weighs five kilos. Yeah, four kilos, but then whatever. we because you used to have to get things tagged and then take photos. So I used to, you know, I've turned up with a gearbox out of a Cortina and. You know, so here's the gearbox, that's a part number, blah, 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 and we get it all put in the book. Then we, we you know, throw them in the bin um, and buy the stuff in the States and then and then, and then then bring them, bring them back in. So then we bring in a proper set of car scales. Which uh, way? How many more oh, kilos more than, than the a, bathroom scales? Yeah, but it was like Because it was about the, dollar, about the dollar you had to pay to get it yeah, in. Yeah, it was wasn't so weight. much the weight. It was not paying any tax on the way in. And then with the NASCAR... You know, we used to stuff shit in it everywhere to try and import it. In fact, we went down the docks to pick up a car once in our truck and we didn't know you were meant to take empty stuff to pick pick something up. And I had a fight with the storeman because I wouldn't pay him extra. So he ran the um, he ran ran into the side of our box with a fork, you know, instead of under it. <laughs> Asshole. And and then so when we went out, the guy at the gate went, Right, I need to look inside your truck. And it was just full of racing car stuff. Plus the racing car we just picked up, which is full of other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, did you import all this? So and we went through the whole story, mate. Get out. <laughs> so, Why do I have a feeling that's happened to you a few times yeah, over the years? Has, where they just, has, yeah. It's easier just to tell you to go yeah. now, I don't want to deal with yeah, this. Yeah, so there, there, a bit of that happened over the years, that's for sure. Uh, Turn 6 Garage is, uh, I think that's the Instagram handle. What was it like doing the Spa 24-hour in a V-Dub Golf Diesel? Actually, hey, that Forget was, about that one. Uh that was a really great opportunity again. Uh, I got, um, I was with, they got all the factory Audi drivers together from around the world and I drove with Tamara Vidalia. And Who I drove for you at 
Bathurst, yes, didn't you, two litres? Yeah, she did. So. And uh, Yvonne Muller. And we shared a car. She wouldn't drive at night. <laughs> anyway, uh, she had a shunt, which sort of took us out, but we ended up on the podium. So, um, yeah, it was a good, you know, got lots of funny stories about that as well. I um, I don't travel too well, and you got to pay to go to the toilet over there. What? And, yeah, That's I know, track. right? Yeah. So they have a big toilet, which is uh, unisex. And then you come down two flights of stairs and then the woman doesn't let you in unless you give her some money and I've got diarrhea. So Ugh. so the first couple of times and I was no okay. money? Well, I ran out of money because I kept on Been giving it to her. there a few times, yeah. Because there's so many steps going up, I get halfway up the steps and go, whoop, and run back in. In the end, she's like, no money. I went, are you kidding? Do you know how much I've given you? So, and I've really got to go again. Yeah. So in the end, I got someone from Volkswagen to come along and pay up. But um, it was a great opportunity. What I learned about... Um, spa is, uh, everyone said to me, to get through a rouge flat is quite difficult. And I think I did three laps in practice. And uh, um, first lap, no problem at all. I'm thinking, what's so difficult about this? Second lap, I just missed the apex by a little bit down the bottom and I was mowing the lawn at the top. So, um, <laughs> But I got to drive at night and, you know, anyway, lots of, lots of interesting stuff about that. But it was uh, certainly an experience. Another Brad with a question, scariest Thunderdome moment? Um, I don't remember you having piles of crashes because you won so no, much stuff. I didn't. I didn't have, have many. Or uh, well, near misses maybe would be I spun scary. the car once on a green set of tyres when we were testing and didn't hit anything and my brother thought I was a genius. Uh, <laughs> had a lot more to do with luck. Um, I, can't, I can't honestly say nothing really, you know, not having any I, – I, um, I didn't have any brakes there once. You know, we had too much rear brake and it would lock the rears really badly. That was, you know, you're doing 180 miles an hour when you brake and peel in. So when you can't brake, it's, you know, it's all starting to happen pretty quickly. But nothing, nothing, you know, nothing really, really. They, they, they made a stupid rule um, in the States because they killed some people there. They used to run a lot of rear brake to make the cars turn. And so they had this rule, they moved the brake bias adjuster over on the passenger side so when you came in, the mechanic could adjust it. Rather than you be fiddling with it all the time. Which I thought was a stupid, stupid rule. And so when we had a problem, so what we did was we had that adjuster and ran the cord up but then under the, um, you know, the foam in the doors, we had the real one. So I'd pull the duct tape off, pull the foam off and then I could adjust the brake bias, yeah, wherever I want, and that you know they could spin that one all day, and it wouldn't make any difference. But, but nothing. I can't, you know, can't really say anything bad. I had some, had some moments, but nothing, you know, nothing, nothing really mm. sticks out to me. What about any blues or run-ins? Because the, the, the Thunderdome, there were some rumbles with various people getting into one another. Was there anyone that you had a long-standing thing with? Because there's a few of those guys over the years that were, were uh, hardheads. Yeah. The, there probably was. I mean, I was wasn't just the crowd that didn't like me there. You were you were number one target. Yeah, no one really liked me. So so you know it depended who who was uh, you know um, Harrington. You know we we raced hard against him, um, Marshall Brewer. Anyone really that was you know I had a great relationship with Jim Richards and Mick Webb. You know I mean they were fantastic competitors and Jimmy and I had a you know we used to travel around a little bit, race trucks together. And so, so I can remember one day we were out there testing and it was Christmas, it was hot and we were just racing the Oscar and um, 
it was like 40-something degrees and, and it was just open practice and the only car out there was me and Kim and, you know, he's changing the wheel alignment and I'm, you know, telling him what I want and what we're looking for. And so Mick Webb and, and Jim Richards and a mechanic drive over in this fair lane and they park right opposite where we're working on the car. Well, Kim's working on the car, I'm sitting in it. And and uh, they got the windows up, the air conditioner on, and they're just sitting there watching us. And they sat there for 30 minutes. And Mick Webb got out of the car and they had a little tiny wall used to step over. It wasn't very high. And he goes, and Kim had his head in the car. He goes, hey, you two idiots. And we're like, I'm like, what do you want? Yes. And he goes, okay, everyone reckons you're lucky. And, and you know, maybe that's the case. But honestly, I can see how you're making luck happen here. No one else is out here and everyone can be here, but not you two. You're still out here banging around, changing stuff. You deserve all the success you get. And um, um, we're not staying. We're going home. It's too hot. So, you know, that was a really nice thing for, for – I mean, we had a great relationship with Mick. Kim and Mick always got along great. I thought you were going to say that they were having a look at your car to see exactly what you're up no, to and no, having a close-up look. You know, but we did used to work hard. I mean, everyone – you know, I used to – we couldn't afford tires and so I'd go through everyone's used tires. No one ever believed that I did this, but we, we, I'd go through all the old tires that people had thrown away and – match them all up and then we'd test on them so we didn't have to buy tyres. So, you know, we used to, you know, scrimp and save wherever we could because we need the money to eat. I do have a little story. I, I, I got this first-hand experience of your ability at this, but this happened when you were an established V8 supercar team. So a very young sleuth got an opportunity to be a television commentator and the first time when we did some support category commentary together in Sydney, it was all post-produced, I think it was a round of the Fujitsu series. I remember it that much. Where we did it in the little studio was in Homebush, not far from where the track ended up being a few years later. You know where I'm going now because you started smiling. So so paint the little picture. This is little Aaron here. He's got his great little opportunity and he's calling some television. I fly into Sydney. You fly into Sydney from Aubrey. Great. Okay, let's go. Um, we'll head out to the, to, to the studio in Homebush. Okay, no worries. I've got a hire car. Too easy. All right, no worries. I've got a hire car. You've got a car. Okay, no worries. I'll well, meet you out there. Kim, Kim and I had a car. We used to live in Sydney because we flew up there so much. That's where I'm going with it. So we get out there. We uh, Post-produced commentary means I, they took the video of the races from the weekend and we commentate over the top of it for it to be shown the next weekend. In those days, Super 2 wasn't live like yep, it is now. that's right. So we park – there's a park <clears> – <throat> across the road from the studio makes sense. So, Which was parked, open at Which the time. was open. The gate was open. It was yeah. a big, huge soccer park. Pe- people and, were training in yeah, there or something. Yeah. I didn't pay any attention yeah. to that. Our, our recording session goes a bit long, um, probably because I was stuffing up a lot being the rookie. Right. Anyway, it comes time to hustle to go to the airport. Uh, righto, let's, let's, let's go, let's go. Little problem there. <laughs> um <laughs> The gate's been locked while we've been in doing the TV and yeah, the, rugby team's the car's finished not training coming out. And our car's on the other side of the locked gate. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and we should tell them what the car is. So I had a – Kim, Kim and I had a Suzuki Bellino, uh, a metallic uh, red one, and we used to leave it in Sydney, just park it in the street near the airport and then go and use it. And then, and then Oryx had a building and we used to park it in their car park. But anyway, so keep going with the story. So anyway, I've got my car. I'm good to go, but I can't leave you there because that's not – the in thing to do because I need to, and I didn't understand why, you said meet me in X Street, gave me the address, and then I'll jump in with you and then we'll go to the airport. So I have to wait for you regardless. So I'm hanging there and I'm looking at the watch thinking, my flight's pretty soon. I've got to get back home. I'd, I'm not flash with cashier to go buy a new flight. So 
Your car's stuck there behind a lock. So what did you do to get it out? Well, I panicked to start with and then I went back into the studio and there was – Which is a big – Global TV was the business. Yeah, because I, I figured there was someone in there that had some tools. And so I went and got the guy and got a set of bolt cutters and <laughs> I come out with the bolt cutters, which I'm sure people were – and there was a there was a, there was a, a, bus, a bus stop <laughs> full of people. <laughs> and I'm running across the road because we're running late um, with a set of these huge bolt cutters. <laughs> break the lock. Break the lock. Off. that you're stealing some crappy yeah. car from behind yeah. this fence. And then and then rush, you know, run back in and give the guy the bolt cutters and then fire up the Bolino and then off to the airport. But yeah, that was pretty funny. That, but that car, man, if that car could talk. Uh, I could imagine. But think of the thousands of dollars it saved you on hire cars in Sydney. Yeah. And and we just, you know, when we did our Aussie mail deal for the first time, because we used to drive that little Suzuki everywhere. And, um, uh, it, you know, because we were in Sydney once or twice a week. And so, you know, what's the point of renting a car? Might as well if we got one there. So. Uh, and, and just parked it in a side street and you didn't get tickets. No, but what happened was. Uh, some guy wrote prick down the side of it one day. I parked it somewhere where obviously he, and left it there for a bit long. Oh, yeah, so he's got months. his key. He's got his key and written prick, yeah, over Christmas or something. Prick. And I, when I got there, I'm like, oh, my God, can you believe that? So I changed the prick to Rick <laughs> and just left it down the side. <laughs> so I did a little bit of handiwork myself. But, so- yeah, that's the sort of thing. And so well, when we did the Aussie Mail deal, we used to drive the Suzuki over there all the time and then we went and met them for a uh, game in, in Canberra and, you know, drove my wife's car up Oh, it's in Canberra Raiders. Yeah, because they, they sponsored them. Yeah, yeah, so we had to do promotion there and the guy's going, oh, so you bought a new car. I looked at him and I said, yeah. And I said to Kim, can you believe that? He thinks we drive that Suzuki to Sydney every time we meet with him. Things barely get to Holbrook. <laughs> <laughs> if only they yeah, knew. if only they knew. <laughs> Loved it. Uh one more punter question. What was it like taking Murray Walker on a lap around Bathurst? Well, that's that's that was that was good actually. I mean, Murray was, you know, great guy. And so um the first time they did it, he had a um one of those plastic folder things, you know, that, that hold papers in your folder, and he had a track with all the he had a lap at the track. Uh, map, track map. Yeah, track yeah. map. And so, you know, he's getting he's talking the whole time, right? He's like and so um uh, we're driving down pit lane and I turned to him and I said, you, you won't need the track map. I actually know where I'm going, Murray. And he's like, oh, so I know the names of the corners. But, no, he was really good, really a gentleman and, you know, and enjoyed it. And, you know, I can remember I was at one stage I was steering with my knee and holding, you know, giving him numbers. And so, yeah, no, it was good. It was good. But we had to shoot it twice. First time something went wrong with the tape. And then the second time ran pretty smoothly and he knew all the stuff by then anyway. So so it was good. That was an amazing car. And, you know, and and, and uh, I wasn't holding back too much even though he sort of suggested in the tape, but he, he was hanging on just like Brock was. <laughs> We're really going for it, I think was the uh, <laughs> the audio that springs into yeah. my mind. What an amazing man. Amazing, amazing story, the Murray Walker story. Before we finish, the top ten shootout. You've done plenty of these in your time. This is something we do on our podcast Unfurrow your brow, Bradley. Hmm. Word association. I'm going to say some things and you say the instant word that comes in your brain. You can use two or three words or a sentence or whatever is required. You can do whatever the F you like. Okay. Winton. Home track. And you can't – the other rule is you can't use the same phrase or word twice to describe. Craig Lowndes. 
co-driver. Mitsubishi Starion. Career booster. Booster. Yeah. I, 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 I see what you did with that. Peter Brock. Good friend. Audi Quattro. Amazing race car. Thunderdome. Um, the pinnacle of my career. Jim Richards. Dear friend. Neil Crompton. Sorry, what? <laughs> Neil Crompton. Uh, Neil, it's got to be more than two words. You know, the, the relationship we've had over the years, the things we've been through together, you know, we've only told people half the stuff that's really happened between the two of us. We are so, you know, when I was young and and he was young, the things we would, if we were going out, we used to share a room. Everywhere we went, we share a room. To save money. Save money, yeah. It was always about money. None Mm. of us had any money. And so Thomas had no money. I had no money. um, Neil had no money. We just had no money. And we were competing against guys like Tony Longhurst, you know, clean their teeth with a $100 bill. So so I saw Tomo do that once. Um, So... So you do save money wherever you can. So we get in a room and we're the opposite, Neil and I. So No, you don't say. You yeah, don't say. I'm always a little untidy uh, and he's a little neat. Uh, so, so when we Dial were, each of those up by 10. Yeah. So if we were going out somewhere, he'd be like, oh, I don't know if it's a good idea. We're testing tomorrow. I'm like, Pfft. so he would make his bed. All right, we've been lying on the bed. He would make his bed before um, – um, before we go out. And my, mine looked like, you know, I was one of those guys, I'd open my suitcase and it would explode <laughs> into the room and things haven't changed. He's like, you're going to tidy things up? And I went, it's my half. I'll do what I want. <laughs> I've paid for my half. Yeah, yeah. Very funny man. Um, best friend. He's a, he's a good guy. Tony Cochran. Good operator. Kim Jones. Um, I need to, I mean... Is Kim and I against the world? I mean, he's he's brothers in arms. Yeah, he's my left arm. Mm. That's actually ten, but I'll go another one. Aubrey, home. I knew you'd say that. I knew you would say. You know, I I used to cop a massive amount of flack for living here. Why? uh, Because you know, it's out of it's out of it's out of mainstream. You know, it's not a cap city. Yeah, and and not part of the motorsport hub. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, and so, but but. You know, we, we got stuck here because Kim's eldest son um, had a had a terminal disease and and we, he needed to stay here for the care. And it's been an amazing place for our families to grow up and to live. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't I – w- this is always be home for me. Mm. And, and, you know, the, I guess what part of the point is people who um, move here to work when they finish, at least 30 or 40% of them stay on the border um, – because it's such a great place to live. I mean, Andrew Edwards has gone off to work at Triple Eight, but his house is still here. Mm. And, and a lot of people that have come here, and when they've come here to work for BJR, they've worked here for a long time and stayed on yeah, in the region I mean. as well. Yes, yeah, yes, not yes. just the stay on when they finish, yeah. but they're here for a long time. Yep. It's it's part of the. I think that's what makes you unique. I mean, there's a bunch of teams on the Gold Coast, there's a bunch in Melbourne, but you are the team in between. So it stands out. Yeah, yeah. Before we go, we've uh, thank you so much for your time, for your stories. I really appreciate it. I know you're at a, it's a busy time of year with a new season about to, to kick off with supercars. I've been asked this by a couple of people <laughs> and I'm a little edgy to ask it, but this is them asking, not me, so it's okay. 
is there, and I've heard this story, but I've heard it, I don't know if I've got the right version. You can straighten the record here, whether it's true or false. If yeah. it's true, iron it out. If it's false, iron it out. That you invited some chicky babes to the racetrack to come and watch you race or test, but unfortunately you invited multiple ones at the same time. No, that's not actually quite true. I invited one and and we were at the Thunderdome and it was in the NASCAR, I think. Uh, uh, and we should point out this is before you're married, this is yeah, back yeah. in your single day, yeah. so everything's yeah. all clear. Early 90s. Anyway, um, so so um, I've come in and and the girl that I went out there with is standing in the garage and there's two girls that I know standing with her. And when you say that you know... I'm pretty friendly with them. Right, okay, <laughs> I'm with you. I'm picking up what you're putting down, okay. Yeah, which, which you know. <clears throat> anyway, so I'm in the car and I've got my helmet on and it was between practice sessions, I think. And so obviously all the mechanics have got headsets and radios on. And so my brother's gone, good one, idiot. Uh, how are you going to talk your way out of this? And I went, uh, and they're standing right at the front of the car up against the wall in the garage. And the garage and is not very big. And are they standing together? Three of them together. And do they know each other? Or two of them knew each other and the other one didn't. Right. So, but the one I was with knew one of the other ones. So, so um, my brother's like, I can't, I can't wait for you to sort this out. And I'm like, oh, oh I don't want to do this now. And he goes, uh, well, what are you going to do? I said, I, I think I'm going to sit in the car. He goes, what? We're not back out for another 30 or 40 minutes. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I'm just going to stay here. So I sat in the car with my helmet on and my visor down. <laughs> and I'm a brave little soldier. And then went out and did the test and when I come back, there was only the one there that I invited and so, man, she went berserk. <laughs> so that was there's no happy ending in that story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and the other two weren't that impressed either. One probably didn't understand totally what was going on, but two did. A tip for young race drivers. Yeah. A tip for young race drivers. Well, it's worse now. Social media, right? I didn't have all that stuff. I was going to say, you were before the era of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all the other things and bits and pieces. You are a very lucky man. I am. I wouldn't, my life would be a very different story. (laughs) Yeah, I think there's a few race car drivers and people that could say that though, right? I reckon you might be right. I reckon you might be right. Brad Jones, thank you very much for having us. Really appreciate the time. Uh, We didn't even get on to any modern stuff this year. We'll do that another time. But uh, all the best this year and thanks for sitting down and having a chat. Thanks, Nance. I hope it was entertaining. Damn straight. There you have it, two parts with Brad Jones. If you haven't heard part one, go back and have a listen to that uh, and really you'll enjoy it. There's a whole pile of stuff that wasn't in part two. We could not fit in much. Uh, more with the time that we had available. I'm going to head back to Aubrey another time because we didn't even scratch the surface on the whole V8 supercar era, on his retirement from racing and what's happened with BJR in the years since he stopped driving. So we will get back to Aubrey someday, somehow, again, very soon. I tell you where you should go to, bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au. Thanks, everyone, for your ongoing support, buying the products that help support what we do. When you buy our books and our prints and our model cars and all of those things, you're helping support us create content like this podcast, for example, or the website stories that you get to read, some of the content that you get on social media. Basically, it's coming because you're supporting us. So again, 
Thank you very much. Sign up to our newsletter through the v8sleuth.com.au website. We only send out a couple of these emails a week. We don't pepper people's email boxes too much. Gives you the links to our latest products and also the latest news articles and event information and news stories on our website too, just in case you haven't been surfing on through. It will give you all of those in the one place. Follow us on socials. You know the drill. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. No, we don't have TikTok. Can't imagine we're going to get TikTok. Let's just keep to those three. Got to be way easier, way easier. Right, that's done. Brad Jones, what a great chat over the two parts on the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Repco. I really hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing it. Keep listening to the pod. There's plenty of episodes if you've missed them from over the journey to go back and listen through. And we will be with you every Wednesday. So tune in next week for another episode. The things these streets have seen, like legends, Half man, half machine. Who head up north to go down in history. But here in the Ville, nothing comes for free. Because here, there's no should. These streets reveal what's really under the hood. If these streets could talk, they wouldn't. They'd roar. They've seen the unforgettable. And they just want more. NTI Townsville 500. Book now at Ticketek. Australian Muscle Car Magazine is one of the most respected voices in motoring media. There's been over 140 issues and thousands of stories published in the last 22 years. From the amazing muscle car machines of the past to the present and the stars that steered and built them, AMC has something for everyone. Delve into the heritage of homegrown high performance now at musclecarmag.com.au.